day and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Costco Wholesale Corporation third quarter earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker for today. Thank you. Please go ahead. Thank you, Erica, and good afternoon to everyone. Uh, this is Bob Nelson, Senior VP of Finance and Investor Relations here at Costco. Thank you for dialing in today into today's conference call to review our third quarter fiscal year 22 operating results. Before we begin, a couple of housekeeping items to take care of. First, as, as you now have surmised, Richard is not with us today. Uh, he is doing great and wishes he could be on the call. He is in Italy with his family on a rescheduled vacation that was canceled early in the pandemic. He wanted uh, me to pass along his best to everyone, and in his absence, I will be filling in for him today. Secondly, and before we get into the details of today's earnings results, I need to read our safe harbor disclosure. Let's begin. These discussions will include forward-looking statements within the meaning of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. These statements involve risks and uncertainties that may cause actual events, results, and our performance to differ materially from those indicated by such statements. The risks and uncertainties include, but are not limited to, those outlined in today's call, as well as other risks identified from time to time in the company's public statements and reports filed with the SEC. Forward-looking statements speak only as of the date they are made, and the company does not undertake to update these statements except as required by law. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get to it. In today's uh, press release, we reported operating results for the third quarter of fiscal 22. The 12 weeks ended uh, this past May 8th. Uh, net income for the quarter was $1.353 billion, $3.04 per diluted share. Uh, the reported 304 included a one-time $77 million pre-tax charge, $0.13 cents per diluted share, for incremental benefits awarded under the new employee agreement effective this past March 14th. Last year's third quarter net income was $1.22 billion, $2.75 per diluted share, which included $57 million pre-tax, or $0.09 cents per diluted share, for costs incurred primarily uh, from COVID-19 premium wages. In terms of this year's $77 million pre-tax charge, uh, this was in conjunction with our new employee agreement, again effective this past March 14th, and was primarily to adjust our benefit accrual to account for one additional day of vacation, which is awarded to each employee immediately. The continuing impacts of the wage and benefit enhancements reflected in SG&A and margin for this quarter uh, and will be uh, in for as well as for subsequent quarters. Uh, net income for the first 36 weeks of fiscal uh, 22 was $3.98 billion, $8.94 per diluted share, and that compares to $3.34 billion, or $7.51 per diluted share uh, last year. Now, uh, let's now review the metrics of our P&L, uh, as always, starting with sales. Uh, net sales for the third quarter increased 16.3% to $51.61 billion, and that compares to $44.38 billion reported last year uh, in Q3. In terms of comparable sales for the third quarter, uh, for the 12 weeks on a reported basis, the U.S. was better or up by 16.6%. Uh, Canada, better by 15.2%, uh, other international, uh, up 57 and total company, again, up 14.9%. Our e-com business in the third quarter uh, reported better by 7.4% versus a year ago. For the 12 weeks excluding the benefit of gas inflation and the headwinds uh, of FX, the U.S. came in at up 10.7%, Canada better by 128 other international up 9.1, and on a total company report uh, basis, X gas inflation and FX headwinds better by 10.8%. And e-commerce just below 8% at 7.9% for the quarter. 
In terms of Q3 comp metrics, uh, traffic or shopping frequency increased 6.8% worldwide and up 5.6% in the U.S. Our average transaction was up 7.6% worldwide and up 10.4% in the U.S. during the quarter. And foreign currencies relative to the U.S. dollar negatively impacted sales uh, by just a little over 1%. And our gasoline price inflation uh, positively impacted sales in the quarter just a little bit more than 5%. The best performing categories in Q3 were candy, sundries, tires, toys, jewelry, kiosks, home furnishings, apparel, bakery, and deli. Underperforming departments were liquor, office, sporting goods, and hardware, all of which were quite strong a year ago. In terms of other business sales, the best performers came in from gasoline, travel, food courts, and our business centers. So overall, our sales grew nicely in the quarter, and for the most part, we're pretty broad-based. Moving down, uh, the income statement to membership fee income uh, reported in Q3, uh, $984 million, or 1.91 as a percentage of sales, uh, compared to last year's $901 million, or 2.03 as a percentage of sales. That's up $83 million year over year, or a 9.2% increase. And excluding headwinds from FX of about 10.6 million, uh, membership uh, was up 10.4% uh, in, in the quarter. In terms of renewal rates, uh, we hit an all-time we hit all-time highs uh, at Q3 end. Our U.S. and Canada renewal rate was 92.3%, up three tenths of a percent from the 12 weeks earlier at Q2 end, and the worldwide rate came in at 90% uh, for the first time in company history, and that's up four-tenths of a percent from what we reported at Q2N. Renewal rates continue to benefit uh, from the increased penetration of both, of both auto renewals and, and more executive members, and, and, and in addition to that, higher first-year member renewal rates than what we've historically seen. In terms of member counts, uh, Number of member households and cardholders at Q3N, we ended Q3 with 64.4 million paid households and 116.6 million cardholders, both of those up over 6% uh, compared to a year ago. At Q3N, our paid executive memberships uh, were 27.9 million, and that's an increase of just about 800,000 during the 12 weeks since Q2N. Executive members now represent over 43% uh, of our member base and over 71% of our worldwide sales. Now, before I move on, I want to take just a minute and address the question uh, that we've been getting a lot recently regarding the timing of a potential membership fee uh, increase. Historically, we've raised fees every five to six years, with the last three increases coming on average at about the five and a half year uh, time frame, and our last increase coming in June of 2017. As we approach this five-and-a-half-year mark, uh, there will be more discussions with Craig, Ron, and the executive team. But for today, we have nothing more specific to report in terms of tithing. In addition, given the current macro environment, uh, the historically high inflation, and the burden it's having on our members and, the, and all consumers in general, we think increasing our membership fee today ahead of our typical timing is not the right time. We will let you know, however, when that changes. Okay, moving on uh, along the P&L, let's take a look at gross margins. Our, recorded, our reported gross margins in the third quarter were lower year-over-year year, uh, by 99 basis points, this year coming in at 10.19 as a percentage of sales, and that compares to last year's 11.18 that we reported a year ago. So the 99 basis points uh, down year-over-year, year, and excluding the negative input impact of gas uh, inflation, we would have been down uh, 53 uh, basis points. So if you would for me, and as normal, please jot down the following uh, for our, our gross margin matrix. And again, as usual, two columns, the first column being reported gross margin, the second column being gross margin without the impact of gas uh, inflation. There are six uh, rows, the first row being merchandise core, second, ancillary and other business, the third row, 2% rewards, followed by LIFO, other, and then total. So in terms of our uh, core merchandise margins, on a reported basis, they were down 87 basis points versus last year, down 46 basis points, X gas, ancillary and other, plus six reported, and plus 18 X gas, 
2% rewards plus 8 and plus 3. LIFO, minus 25 basis points on a reported basis and minus 27 ex-gas inflation. And finally, other minus 1 with and without uh, gas. So again, in total, down 99 reported, down 53 excluding the impact of gas inflation. A little color, more color on, on gross margins, uh, starting with uh, core merchandise. The core merchandise contribution to gross margin was lower uh, by 46 basis points, ex-gas inflation in the quarter. Sales mix negatively impacted the core, primarily from the lower sales penetration of total core sales relative to our gasoline uh, sales, which were very strong in the quarter. In terms of the core margins on their own sales in Q3, our core-on-core -core margins were lower by 39 basis points, approximately two-thirds of this coming from fresh foods. Fresh experienced a very difficult compare uh, versus last year when the extraordinary volumes produced, extraordinary volumes, uh, produced lower D&D and higher labor uh, productivity a year ago. Also contributing to the fresh uh, decline this quarter uh, were raw higher raw material costs and higher labor costs due to our new wages. Ancillary uh, and other business gross margin, again, higher by six reported, higher by 18 basis points, ex-gas inflation. Gas, travel, and business centers were better year over, over year, offset somewhat by e-com, pharmacy, and optical. Uh, again, 2% rewards higher by eight reported, higher by three ex-gas. LIFO, minus 25 and minus 27x gas, as we recorded a $130 million charge in the quarter for LIFO. And other was minus one basis point, both with and X gas inflation. This included items from both years. Uh, last year, we had 14 million of COVID expenses, uh, primarily premium wages within gross margin. Uh, this year, we had a one-time charge discussed at the beginning of the call, 20 million of the 77 million of which related to gross margin. The net result of these two items, uh, again, minus uh, one basis point. And while we continue to mitigate the impact of price increases as best as we can, we remain comfortable in our ability to pass through higher costs while providing great value to our members. Moving to SG&A, uh, we showed good results. Uh, our reported SG&A in the third quarter was lower or better year over year by 84 basis points coming in at 8.62%, and that compares to last year's reported 9.46% uh, SG&A figure. That's, again, 84 basis points lower or better, and 44 basis points excluding the impact of gas inflation. Again, if you jot down the following for our SG&A matrix, again, uh, two columns, the first column being reported SG&A, the second column SG&A X the impact of gas inflation. And we have five rows, the first row operations, second row central, third row uh, stock compensation expense, third or fourth row other, and then total is the fifth row. In terms of our operations on a reported basis, SG&A was better by 68 basis points, and X, uh, the benefit of gas inflation, better by 35. Central, better by 15 reported, better by 10 X gas. Stock compensation better by two reported, better by one X gas, and other minus one and minus two X gas. Again, all total, 484 basis points lower or better, and 44 excluding the benefit of gas inflation. In, Q in Q3, year over year, uh, the core operations component of SGNA was better by 68, again, 35 X gas. Keep in mind this result includes the starting wage increase we instituted this past October as well as eight weeks of the new wage and benefit increases just implemented during Q3 uh, on October 14th uh, of this year. Central was better by 15 and better by 10 without gas. Stock comp plus two, plus one without gas. And again, other minus one basis point, minus two without gas inflation. Similar to gross margin, this included items from both years. Last year we had 44 million of COVID expenses and this year we had a one-time charge, again discussed at the beginning of the call, 57 million of the 77 million, which related to SG&A. The net result of these two items, again, minus one reported, minus two ex-gas inflation. So all told, reported operating income in Q3 uh, of this year increased 8%, coming in at 1.791 billion. 
Below the operating income line, interest expense was $35 million this year versus $40 million last year. And interest income and other for the quarter was higher by 44 basis points year over year, primarily due to favorable uh, FX. Overall pre-tax profit, uh, pre-tax income came in for the quarter at up 11%, coming in at $1.827 billion, and that compares to $1.65 billion, which we reported a year ago. In terms of income taxes, our tax rate in Q3 uh, was 24.9%. That compares to 25.2 in Q3 last year. Uh, overall, for the year, our effective tax rate is currently projected to be between 26 and 27%. A few other items of note, uh, warehouse expansion. In Q3, we opened one net new warehouse plus two relocations. Uh, Q3 year-to-date, we have opened 17 warehouses, including three relocations, for a net of 14 new warehouses so far this fiscal year. For the remainder of the fiscal year and in, and in Q4, we expect to open an additional 10 new warehouses, which will put us at 27 uh, for the year, including three, reloca three relocations, and for a net of 24 uh, net new warehouses for all of, of fiscal year 22. The 24 new warehouses by market are 14 in the U.S., uh, two in Canada, and one each in Korea, Japan, Australia, Mexico, Spain, France, China, and our first opening uh, in New Zealand, which will occur in August of this year. In terms of the new openings uh, this year, this is four fewer than what we projected in Q2. Uh, two of the four were impacted by supply supply chain issues related to electrical equipment, and the other two have been delayed due to third-party site development uh, issues. All four of these buildings are now scheduled to open uh, by the end of a, a calendar November uh, this fall. Uh, incidentally, there are three in the U.S. and one in Australia uh, that were delayed. The one net new opening in Q3 was a business center located in San Marcos, uh, California, and the first of the 10 scheduled to open in Q4 opened this past week in Riverton, Utah, bringing our worldwide total to 830 uh, Costco's uh, as of today and around, around the world. Regarding CapEx, uh, the Q3 uh, F22 spend was approximately $854 million. Our full-year CapEx spend is estimated for the year to be just shy of about $4 billion. In terms of our e-com business, uh, e-com sales in, in Q3, uh, XFX increased 7.9%. Uh, this is on top of a 38% increase a year ago. Stronger departments in the quarter were special order, patio and garden, jewelry, and home furnishings. Our largest e-com merchandise department majors, which includes consumer electronics, appliances, TVs, was up a little bit better than mid-single digits on a very strong sales increase a year earlier. And Costco Grocery, including our third-party delivery, uh, two-day dry, fresh, and frozen, continues to grow up low double digits uh, in the quarter. Uh, an update on Costco Logistics. Uh, Costco Logistics continues to drive big and bulky uh, sales for us. We average more than 58,000 stops uh, a week in the third quarter. For the full year, uh, we estimate total deliveries will be up 23% and will exceed $3 million. Cost, with, with logistics, we continue to, to transition from vendor dropship to direct ship uh, from our own inventory, particularly in big and bulky items. Overall, this lowers the cost of merchandise and improves delivery times and service levels uh, for our members. Okay, a few, uh, now a few comments regarding inflation. Uh, first of all, uh, it continues. Uh, pressures from higher uh, commodity prices, higher wages, uh, higher transportation costs, and supply chain uh, disruptions all still in play. Uh, for Q1, we estimated price inflation uh, was in the 45 to 5% range. Uh, for Q2, we had estimated 6-ish, if you will. And for, for Q3, in talking to our merchants, uh, estimated price inflation was in the 7 ish percent uh, range. However, we did see inflation in fresh foods uh, come in slightly lower in Q3 versus Q2 a year ago as we began cycling uh, high meat prices. Um, we believe our solid uh, sales increases and relatively consistent margins show that we have continued to strike the right balance in, in passing on higher costs. 
switching over to inventory for a minute, our total inventory in Q3 was up 26% year-over-year versus up 19% in Q2. A couple of high-level comments regarding inventory. Uh, a material component of the increase year-over-year is inflation rather than unit growth. Uh, we continue to expand open new locations, uh, 20 new in, in the last 12 months. Uh, we are lapping some low stocks in certain departments as a result of last year's uh, high demand. And uh, we are purposely uh, building inventory in our e-com business, primarily in big and bulky categories, as mentioned earlier in the call. Uh, food and sundries and fresh is in very good shape. Our week supply is comparable year over year. Uh, Non-food inventories are up in certain categories. This is in part a result of being light in certain departments last year, specifically seasonal, lawn and garden, TVs, appliances, and sporting goods. Otherwise, we are a little heavy in small appliances and domestics, primarily due to late-arriving merchandise uh, this year. In addition, we have a few hundred million dollars of extra inventory in both late-arriving holiday merchandise from last season, which we're storing until this fall, and some buy-in merchandise to ensure proper inventory levels in the face of these ongoing supply chain uh, issues. Speaking with uh, Craig, Ron, and Claudine Adamo, our new head of merchandising, uh, we feel good about our current inventory levels. Uh, the additional inventory we're carrying is in the right departments, and they feel good about our ability uh, to move it. A quick update on China. Uh, our first opening in China, located in Menghong, Shanghai, was closed for the last six weeks of the third quarter. Uh, that closure had a negative impact in the quarter of approximately $35 million in sales. As of May 18th, um, we're happy to report that building is back open, uh, but operating under restrictions on the number of people that can be in the building at one time, among other cleaning and operating uh, restrictions. Our second building in Shuzhou, uh, which opened in December uh, this last uh, December, uh, was largely has largely avoided the lockdowns and restrictions to this point. We are currently targeting an opening date uh, of this December uh, for our third Shanghai building in Pudong. The timing, although, will somewhat depend on the area remaining open for the next several months and not being more negatively impacted by lockdowns. Uh, four additional China buildings are currently underway and planned with opening dates in the next two years. Uh, these would be our first China openings outside of Shanghai. I believe we have, uh, of those four, one is in, in fiscal 23 and three in fiscal uh, 24. As a reminder, in terms of upcoming releases, uh, we will announce our May uh, sales results for the four weeks ending uh, Sunday, May 29th, this next week on Thursday, June 2nd, after market close. This is a day later than our traditional Wednesday release due to the uh, Memorial Day holiday. Before wrapping up, a quick shout out to the 300,000 worldwide Costco employees around the globe and the excellent work and proactive effort they give each day to navigate during these uh, most challenging environment. Our merchants and operators are the best in the business and their hard work is reflected in our strong operating uh, results. Finally, uh, I want to address some incorrect information floating around on social media and a few other media outlets claiming that we have increased the price of our $1.50 hot dog and soda combination sold in our food courts. Let me just say, the price when we introduced the hot dog soda combo in the mid-80s was $1.50. The price today is $1.50, and we have no plans to increase the price at this time. With that, I will turn it back over to Erica and open it up for Q&A. Thank you. As a reminder to ask a question, you'll need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Simeon Goodman with Morgan Stanley. Hey, hey Bob, how you doing? Um, Good. Um, who's gonna Who's gonna whisper the answers if you're the one doing all this? <laughs> I got <Tell> help. <laughs> okay, I I hear it. Um, can you tell me on on the core on core margin x gas? It looks like underlying run rate got a little worse, which I don't think is a big surprise given what we're hearing out there. You mentioned in the core on core the perishable year over year. But is it safe that it, it, is it transport, or is it there's some markdowns on erratic inventory coming in? Can you talk a little about what, what's happening there? Thanks. 
Yeah, on the fresh side, we literally had no D&D last year. And we had, you know, we had very high labor productivity because of the pounds that we were going to, you know, that we were, that we were processing, if you will. So we, I think we've kept a lot of that leverage, actually. It, we're way above pre-pandemic levels. It's just it was extraordinary last year. So, I, and I think we'll keep some of that, um, but it's not all that. And then a little bit of it is, like I said, raw material cost this year. I mean, those eventually make their way into into our the price of our goods. But as you know, we're not the first one to go up when when we have higher higher costs. Um, I think just recently, it may have been after the end of the quarter, we reluctantly, but we took up the price of our muffins and our croissants. I think a dollar. Uh, as the price of a lot of those raw materials have continued to escalate to two and three and four times what they were last year. So uh, that's essentially what's going on there. Got it. Um, maybe my follow-up, is anything happening on trip consolidation, items per trip rising, anything that, you know, I'm sure, you know, this is a, a question you're ready for. Yeah, I, you know, honestly, we're not seeing a lot of change in our in our throughput in the buildings. I mean, we're seeing a lot of traffic. Um, we're not seeing a lot of, you know, we're not seeing trade down, really. We're seeing a little bit of shift in where people are spending their money. Um, you know, last year there was more stuff for the home and, and that, and this year it's more sales and tickets and restaurants and travel and tires and gas and things of that nature. But we're still hoarding our own in areas like apparel and furniture and jewelry, TVs and appliances. All those departments are showing good, you know, decent sales growth on, on top of pretty good numbers a year ago. I would say overall um, there might be a, a, a very small amount in terms of the number of items in a basket this year a little less than last year because there was more trip consolidation going on a year ago, I think, during COVID. But overall, I think we feel pretty good about what we're seeing and how our members are shopping. Okay. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Your next question comes from the line of Chuck Grom with Gordon Hassett. Okay. Thanks a lot. Um, good job, Bob, uh, today. Um, I'm just curious, uh, Craig's view on balancing the desire to show value, particularly lately as the macro backdrop continues to get more uncertain, while, while also passing on some price increases. You know, like, like you articulated, you know, inflation up anywhere between five to seven percent, but we know in some cases uh, the pressures are, are much higher. So, just curious where, where Craig is on, on that balance. Well, look, I, I think we always want to be the best value in the marketplace, and to the extent that we continue to show that, I, I think it's easier for us to pass on higher pricing or higher freight costs or raw material costs, assuming that we show that value in the marketplace. And that's what it's all about, really. And I think we feel good about it. I mean, our most recent uh, shops against who we watch most closely have not changed. And we're every bit as competitive as we've been. Uh, notwithstanding the fact we have taken some prices up in certain areas, in, in, in food and sundries and in fresh foods. Okay, great. And then uh, on the core on core, you, you talked about two-thirds being fresh. Just wonder if you could just give us some color on uh, some of the discretionary uh, categories. Well, I think that the balance was uh, slightly more in non-foods than in foods in terms of the, the remaining third of the, of the lower uh, margins. Um, I'm not sure I have – specifics right now on certain specific categories. I mean, again, it's not really a category. It's a, we're an item business, and so it's all about certain items where we might move or not move. Okay, cool. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Chuck. Your next question comes from the line of Christopher Horvers with J.P. Morgan. Hi, thanks very much. This is Megan Alexander on for Chris. Um, you know, maybe a follow-up to Simeon's question. Are you seeing any pressure from, you know, rising fuel and, and diesel with regards to transportation in that core on core? And if so, you know, it seems like they accelerated pretty quickly at the end of April. Are you are you holding back any of the price increases on those costs such that it's impacting core on core, you know, maybe maybe more than normal? No, I don't I don't believe so, Megan. I mean the 
I think overall there's higher transportation costs across the whole supply chain, whether it's ocean freight or trucking or the price of fuel, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think eventually those costs make their way into your, your sell price. Uh, again, it's not like anything else. We, we tend to, to drag a little bit compared to, to others, but I, I don't think there's a material change since the end of April in terms of how we're managing that. Got it. Okay, that's helpful. And then maybe just a, a quick follow-up on LIFO. You know, since price increases have continued, it seems, you know, does that pressure continue to accelerate going forward? And then do we ever, you know, kind of get that back as we lap, or, or does it depend, you know, on, on what the cost environment yeah. looks like? Yeah, we, well, it certainly can't be predicted and tell you exactly where it's going. Um, we've obviously seen more inflation as the years progressed. If we stay at this level, uh, you know, there will continue to be some impacts to our P&L. Um, if we start to see deflation, if we were in a deflationary environment next year, yeah, we would get some of that back. But it's it, we've got a ways to go, I think. I think everybody thinks we're still in a, a cycle of more inflation versus it, it stopping. Now, to be fair, this is the first time when we get into Q4 that we'll actually start cycling some of the beginning of this last year. And I think we had a small LIFO charge in Q4 a year ago. So I'm not predicting, but, you know, we saw a little bit of, of uh, decline in our fresh food uh, inflation in, you know, this past quarter. Will we see some of it in other areas as we enter Q4? Maybe, um, but that could be offset by higher costs in other in other areas in the supply chain. So, and then of course that higher level of inflation started hitting us in in Q1 and Q2 of the beginning of this year. So, you know, I really can't predict where it's going to go. But assuming we get more inflation, we'll have more LIFO charges. To the extent that reverses at some point, we'll get some credits. Got it. Thank you very much. Sure. Your next question comes from the line of Scott Ciccarelli with Truist Securities. Uh, hey, Bob. How are you? Um, good. So I guess, good. Well, I guess more of a, a business strategy question, if you will. You guys had some pretty good SG&A leverage, which helped offset the, the, the merch margin uh, compression that you saw. I guess the question is, you know, would you have tried to pass on more price increases to protect your gross margin if you didn't think you'd have as much SG&A leverage as you were uh, uh, able to generate? <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, a, that's a hard one to answer. Look, it's all it, – it, look, we would never uh, raise prices if we could get SG&A leverage in every single quarter from now until eternity. I mean, our goal would be to, to lower prices indefinitely and, and lower SG&A. It's all a balancing act, sure. Um, you know, the same can be said on gross margins. I mean, everybody's read what's going on out there in the industry. Our, our sales and gas were very strong. Our gross margins were strong. And to the extent we're able to lever that into other areas of the business by holding prices, that's what we do. That's, that's retail. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of John Hinnenbuckle with Guggenheim. Hey, Bob. Uh, I want to start with, because um, we're in uncharted territory here with, with inflation uh, in recent times. To what degree do you guys, and I don't think you do much of this, but test, you know, we're going to take pricing up in certain places, see what the consumer reaction is, and then go more broadly. And um, have you seen any item-by-item uh, you know, any uh, elasticity where you'd say, okay, we're, we're either not going to roll it out or not the, roll out the price increase or roll it back? Yeah, John, you know, honestly, we don't we don't really test markets or we, we won't take a market like Seattle and test taking a price up beyond our comfort level. It, it all comes down to value proposition. And if we feel like we can take a price up and pass on some of the costs that we're incurring in, in our goods, and the value proposition is still there, you know, we'll go there. Um, it's, we're, we're not testing all these items across the space. Okay. I mean, it, uh, it, is, it is unprecedented times. I will tell you that because of our limited SKU counts and the small number of, item, you know, SKUs that each buyer actually manages, 
they have a pretty good understanding of where their competitive situation is in the marketplace, and they have a pretty good feel about what kind of business they can do at what price, and I think that helps us in terms of managing that. Okay. And, and then maybe secondly, gas gallons, right? So, you know, what what is what is that then up? And I, and I guess historically, right, um, higher gas prices have translated into share gains for you. Are you, are you starting to see that accelerate and drive some incremental traffic to clubs? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, obviously, uh, our value proposition in the marketplace is, is, is best in class, and it's actually accelerated versus where it was a year ago. Uh, I think the industry uh, demand in gallons for gas is in the 1% to 2% range, and what I can tell you is we are much better than that. Uh, in the high teens to the low 20s in terms of where we've been trending. Um, I, I will say we're certainly getting a lot of shops in the building when when people buy gas, but given the extraordinarily high level, we're also getting a lot more members come by and top off their tank just because the, the value proposition in some cases is over a dollar a gallon. And those members will come by and, and you know, buy five or six gallons and then be on their way. So, um it's it's difficult to measure because of the, the just the huge amount of volume we're getting through our stations right now. Okay, thank you. Yep. Your next question comes from the line of Karen Short with Barclays. Hi, thanks very much. Um, so, uh, two questions. You know, Bob obviously addressed the membership um, component uh, that everyone has on their mind, but I guess what what I'm curious to hear from you is, I think you've wavered, you know, in one direction and another direction, like based on the last four months. And so I'm curious to hear why you are kind of steadfast now that you would not raise the membership fee. Not that I necessarily think you should, but obviously you've taken a, a stance. So that's my first question. Well, I don't think we've really wavered. I, I think once we get a year out, or a year and a half out from that five and a half year cycle, we frankly just start to get a lot of questions about it. And the, the, the commentary in the prepared remarks is really more about just saying at this time, we don't think it's right for us. Um, we're not saying that we're not gonna do it. We're just saying it's not right for us right now. And I think that's the same answer we had three months ago when we talked about it on the, the second quarter call. So I don't think anything's really changed, other than we're just not at the five-and-a-half-year cycle yet. Does that make okay, sense? Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, um, you know, you made two comments just in terms of, um, I think you said you were a little heavy in small appliance and holiday inventory, but you feel good about your ability to clear the inventory. So I just wanted to clarify what exactly you mean on that in terms of, you know, preparing potentially for a slowdown with the consumer and or if you're, if you're thinking there may be, or if you're not thinking there is, and where you're at on that broadly. Well, I can't. I can't tell you whether I think there's going to be more pullback in you know a month or two months or three months. I mean, again, we feel really good about our ability to drive uh, traffic and drive our members in, and uh, the, frankly, the ability to drive the top line. When I spoke to Ron uh, yesterday about this, um, look, he thinks that you know we got a couple extra weeks supply in a couple areas, and he thinks we can move through the inventory without really a lot of heartburn or, or problem. On the seasonal stuff, a lot of that is just Christmas stuff that came in late. We've got it in deep freeze, and we're going to put it out this fall, and we're probably going to put it out at pretty good values because the price of all that stuff has gone up. So we feel pretty good about being able to move that. And then the other comment I made is just more – more inventory that we think makes sense to have, like masks and things like that, where if there's some kind of hiccup in, in COVID, we're well prepared. So uh, it, it, I don't want to say strategic, but it, it's, you know, it's a little bit more inventory than we might typically uh, carry in a kind of non-environment like we're in now. Okay, sorry, just to sneak one last one in. In terms of the fuel, obviously that's a huge draw for you to your stores. 
Is there any update yep. on the conversion into the store during your open hours in terms of people filling up the tanks um, and then actually going into the store conversion? Because I yeah. think that's historically been 70-ish percent during open hours. No, no, no. That that number has been like 50 percent. I'm not sure where 70 percent came from. That that number that number has come down slightly. Uh, um, and again, because what I mentioned earlier, we have a lot more members coming by and topping off their tank. But the overall number of shops from people buying gas is probably up. It's just the percentage is down because we have way more people going through the stations. So the penetration is down a little bit, but the, the number of relative shops is up probably. Okay, I thought it was I thought it was seventy percent during open hours and fifty overall, but maybe I was wrong yeah. on that. So th thank you. Yep. <laughs> Your next question comes from the line of Edward Kelly with Wells Fargo. Hi, hi guys. Good afternoon. Uh, I was hoping that maybe you could share some thoughts on the outlook for uh, the gross margin in uh, fiscal Q4. Um, you know, as we sort of think about some of the pieces, you know, the year over year, the, the core compare, you know, kind of looks easier, but it's not really on a two-year basis. Um, you know, it seems like you probably still going to have LIFO. I don't think fuel margins are off to a very good start at all, but I, you know, maybe that's just because gas prices are rising and obviously it's a long quarter. Uh, I'm just kind of curious is that, you know, like the expectation, you know, that we should have around, um, you know, around around the current quarter. Yeah, and I, I wish I could be more transparent about, you know, what our budgets are and everything, but we really don't guide in terms of where gross margins, uh, you know, are going to be. Um, I, I think it's it continues to be a challenging environment. I, I think we feel good about our ability to, to pass through uh, you know, certain costs. Uh, in other areas, we don't feel as good about it, um, and we want to hold prices. Um, so I think it's – I can't tell you, you know, where exactly it's going to be. I think I think it's – if I had to kind of – it'll be – it'll look much like what you're looking at this quarter, you know, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. Um, but other than that, I, we really just don't – we don't guide, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I can't okay. That's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, the other thing that I wanted to ask about, um, and, and you kind of touched on it, is just, um, you know, how you're navigating uh, product cost inflation and, and, and pass through, you know, to customers. And I know historically, you know, you would lag competition. Um, I think maybe those, like that, that the length of that lag has maybe been, you know, reduced to some extent. I don't know if that's true. Just sort of color there, and then. You know, what have you been able to do from a, you know, a vendor standpoint? Because, you know, you don't sell a lot of SKUs, right? So, you know, you do have, um, you know, some real scale advantage, you know, within those, within those products. So I'm just kind of curious as to how, yeah. you know, those negotiations are going as well. Well, look, uh, like we've always said, our, our first goal is to mitigate any price increase. Uh, and our first goal is to partner with our vendor and figure out if there's a way to mitigate it for both of us. Um, and that's 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 the strategy. Um, it's it's certainly more difficult times because there's more pressures coming from different areas. It's not just raw material costs; it's labor. It's um, you, there's more factors involved in it. But look, as you as you alluded to, we have we do a lot of volume in, in a relatively small number of SKUs. We're very important to the, to our suppliers in terms of the volume we do in some of these, and so they work with us. Um, and I think we, at the end of the day, again, it's about showing the best value proposition in every item that we have on the shelf. And uh, to the extent we're able to pass on some of those costs uh, and we still show a great value in that item, then that's great. In, in some instances, maybe we're not able to do that as effectively. But, you know, overall, I, I feel pretty good about our merchants being able to navigate through this. It's We've had a lot to navigate through the last couple quarters, and and uh, I think I feel good about our ability to continue to do it as we look out into Q4 and then into next fiscal year. Okay, great. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Peter Benedict with Baird. Oh, hey, guys. Thanks, Thanks for taking the question, Bob. Nice job. Uh, question on private label. Uh, Kirkland penetration, just maybe where that sits uh, relative to maybe a year ago, and are you seeing any yeah. uh, any particular areas where you're getting um, 
stronger traction or growth rates are picking up there? Just curious how the consumer is behaving around private label. Yeah, I, uh, we actually took a look at that, and we were up a little bit in terms of penetration, probably 30 or 40 basis points. So we're still doing a lot of, a lot of business there, but again, we're not, as I mentioned earlier when I was talking about the consumer, we're not seeing, I don't think, a lot of trade trade down or trade out into from branded into our private label. So we continue to grow it, but I think in a, in a, in a way that makes sense for our business and it's our consumers really aren't changing how they're, they're shopping with us. I think we're up four tenths, I think somewhere around the 26, 26 and change a number in terms of penetration on a global basis. Got it. Okay. That's helpful. And then just, uh, I mean, you mentioned, um, the, the higher year one renewal rates. I'm just curious yeah. maybe how long you've been seeing that. Um, is that a, a U.S. dynamic? Is it an international dynamic? Is it happening everywhere? And maybe, put a, maybe frame the numbers a little bit just to, to how much better uh, it's been. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, we have historically been, depending on the country and the area, somewhere in the kind of low 50s to low high, – sorry, high 50s to, to maybe 60, low 60s. And those numbers now are depending on the country in the high 60s to low 70s. So we've seen, we've gradually seen over the last two years since the pandemic started about a 10% bump in our first year renewal, uh, our first year members, if you will, which we view as very favorable because we obviously signed up a lot of new members that hadn't tried us before the pandemic. They tried us, had a good experience, and we're seeing better retention rates out of those members. Yep. Well, certainly better than it going in the opposite direction. So uh, yeah. good job. Thanks very much. Thanks. Thanks, Peter. Your next question comes from the line of Paul as we with City. Hey, this is Brandon Schiedemann for Paul. Um, yeah, just wanted to uh, ask about supply chain bottlenecks. Any particular categories that have improved, any that have gotten worse? I, I think some of your competitors have mentioned, you know, general merch and, and furniture as uh, some categories that have been challenging. Just wondering if uh, you all are seeing that as well. Yeah, I'm just, I'm sitting here with Ron, and he he's indicating to me that we're pretty much across the board improving everywhere, slightly from where we were. It's not really in any one particular category. It's I think part of that is there's 40 or 50 ships in LA now instead of 100 or 120, and and uh, you know the fact that we've been able to utilize our own ships um, to kind of help get product over here, um, I, you know I think it's just improved a little bit across the board in in all in everything that we're purchasing. Thanks, and you know I think in the past you've mentioned that. You know, if if you did have shortages, you would be able to kind of switch out a vendor or, you know, utilize an existing member a vendor for for new product. Has that kind of slowed because the supply chain's improved? Uh, well, look, we certainly are able to pivot more easily because we have less we have less category business and more item business. So, to the extent we're having difficulty in a particular item or have a hard time showing value in a particular item, we are able to pivot over into something else and, and put it in the warehouse. I, I don't. I think that's just part of our DNA, what we do here every day, whether it's in a, the environment we're, you know, we're operating in now or in a normal environment. So I think it's just a competitive advantage based on our, you know, the structure of our business. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks and good luck. Yeah, great. Thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Rupish Parrick with Oppenheimer. Good afternoon. This is actually Erica Eiler on Groupesh. Thanks for taking our questions. So I guess first, you know, you touched on gas prices and, you know, driving traffic to the clubs. Um, you know, I was just curious, you know, given the gas price dynamics out there right now, do you think that's driving more memberships at all to clubs, you know, as perhaps consumers, you know, seek out more value in this environment? Sure. Sure, yeah, sure. I mean, um, absolutely. I think every member that signs up, you know, has a different reason, but sure, absolutely. It, particularly given the extreme value proposition in that product, in, the, in that, in gas right now. 
Okay. And then, and then just, you know, shifting gears kind of back, back to discretionary, you touched on, you know, seeing consumers, you know, spend in other categories, which is, you know, what we're hearing from, you know, everyone out there right now. And just curious, you know, based on what you're seeing to date, has anything surprised you in terms of, you know, the, the shift by category um, that you're seeing right now that perhaps you hadn't planned for? You know, not really. I mean, some of the areas I mentioned, like sporting goods, well, you know, all the gyms are opening up again, and a lot of within sporting goods, it's really exercise equipment that, um, you know, we we sold a lot a year ago, and this year, people are back at the gyms. Uh, office is, is is down a little bit, and again, people were setting up home offices and working from home a year ago, so it's no surprise to us uh, that that department is a little bit softer than a year ago. Um, so I, I, not really. I, I think the categories that we're seeing be a little bit softer than we expect are categories that we expected to be soft. It's, it's not a big surprise. Okay, great. Thank you. Sure. Your next question comes from the line of Kelly Bania with BMO Capital. Oh, thanks, and, and well done, Bob. Um, just another another question, um, as you think about that 7% inflation that you mentioned, can yeah. you maybe give us a little color on how that looks on the food and consumable side versus the discretionary side of the business? And as well, is there any um, difference in your ability or willingness to pass on some of the inflation um, on either side of the aisle there? I would say... I would say in terms of our – we're certainly seeing uh, higher inflation in certain non-food areas, although mix is bringing that down. You know, you're, you're going to sell fewer, uh, say – I'm making this up, but patio sets that are up, say, 10% than you are, say, a piece of apparel that might be up less so. It's going to be less of an impact on a, on a smaller priced item. Uh, I think overall the, the inflation that we're seeing is relatively the same. Again, we're an item business, so we're certainly seeing it higher than that in some items and lower than that in other areas of the business. And I, I think, again, I, I hate to keep using this term, but it's all about the value proposition and, and our willingness to take pricing along um, or take pricing up depends on what our position is in the marketplace. And to the extent we continue to show great value, it's a little easier for to, to, to do that. Okay, and, and maybe just, just to follow up in terms of just big ticket in general, um, can you just maybe talk about how that's trending and do you think about maybe planning big ticket just a little bit more conservatively or, or just help us understand the, the internal thought process about just big ticket in the, in the current environment? Yeah, well, again, again, not to keep using this term, but we're an item business, and I think we're seeing great strength in furniture right now. We're seeing great strength in patio. We didn't have as good inventory supplies a year ago, and we have more inventory now, and so we're able to move that product. Um, things like exercise equipment isn't as selling as much because – or barbecues, for example. Everybody bought a barbecue last year because uh, everybody was home and cooking from home. You know, those, those, you know, certain items like that are not selling as well this year. I, I think the good thing for us is we're so broad-based in terms of the merchandise that we sell that we don't really – I guess we don't really look at it as big ticket. Um, we're, appliances is another example. Appliances are very strong this year. Now, again, we had a little bit of a supply constraint last year, more issues with chips. That's, that's getting better. It's not solved but we're in better stock this year, and we're certainly selling more appliances than we did a year ago. And those are the biggest of ticket items. So, um, and, and, what? What about it? Oh, these, my guys were saying travel. Uh, not a, not really a, a big ticket, but an experience. And, you know, with everybody pent up for, for, for two years and not traveling, yeah, that business has taken off like mad. So, there's a lot of discussion and talk about a recession coming, but if you if you look in our buildings and you look at and you're, if you've been on an airplane lately, you'd never notice it. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Yep. 
Your next question comes from the line of Laura Champagne with Loop Capital. Um, thanks for taking my question. Can you talk specifically about what you're seeing in renewal rates in China? I, I know that at first you had such great member um, growth there, but I, I, I'm interested in how how well you've retained those customers, just given what they've been through over the past few years. Yeah, um, Laura. You know, I don't have those in in front of me, actually. Um, if you want to ping me offline, we can maybe give you a little bit more color. I knew, I do know that they're slightly lower than we've seen in some markets because we signed up so many members in those first two uh, two two warehouses, and so I know the retention rates are a little bit lower as a percentage. But part of that is, you know, when we opened our first building there. Uh, it was the only building, and now that we have uh, two buildings with a third coming all in the Shanghai market, uh, you know, it's going to change the dynamics a little bit. Got it. And then just a detail on that one-time charge. Did you add a vacation day just basically because Juneteenth was made a holiday, or is there something else going on there? No, it was just for each and every employee to, to use as they fit. It's, it's essentially a an additional floating holiday that uh, each employee could use for a specific uh, day that's important to them. Got it. Thanks. Why don't we take one or two more, and then uh, David, Josh, and myself will be available uh, for some offline questions. Okay, and your next question comes from the line of Greg Mellich with Evercore ISI. Hi, thanks. Uh, Bob, uh, could you give us a little more insight into uh, the ancillary business's margin going up? Is that you know, travel coming back? What, yep. what, what's really driving that? Well, certainly gas was the biggest driver in there, and I think we mentioned mm -hmm. that travel uh, was also one of the, the beneficiaries. What was that one? Yeah. And and was and so penny profit and gas. We should accept that that, that was actually up year over year. Yeah, it was up year yep. over year. But but keep in mind the price of gas was up forty percent year over year. So the margin. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Got it. And then a, a housekeeping on the uh, day vacation. The the charge the seventy seven million. Yeah. Is that a an accrual for the year or is that now? A, uh, in the base, and we should see that each of the next four quarters. Uh, it's, it's 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 both. It's it, it the $77 million was essentially to get on the books the cost of that uh, vacation for each employee at that time on March 14th, if you will, and then the mm -hmm. ongoing cost of that is is in our regular SG&A and benefit costs each quarter. Correct. Got it. So that and, that and those costs for Q3. Or I should say, the eight weeks of Q3, we're just in the regular SGNA numbers. Got it. So now, so presumably that was eight weeks of Q3, and we can just look at the weekly and sort of use that running forward. Uh, well, we didn't give you what it was by week. That's what it was for the year. Oh, that's what it was for the. So the 77 was for the year. Correct. There were additional but costs it's... quarter relating to the eight weeks for that benefit. But Got it. Okay. That out. Man, I guess you All right. Let, that's great. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. Your next question comes from the line of Stephanie Wessick with Jeffries. Hi, it's Blake. Thanks for squeezing us in. Wanted to uh, see if you could give any color on new member growth. I know you talked about gas was a benefit to attracting members. And you didn't see a lot of trade down for existing members, that, but didn't know if you could talk about maybe any new members joining the club for savings on food or non-food specifically. Well, I, we don't we don't really ask each member when they when they sign up why they're signing up. Um, I'm hoping that there's a different value proposition for each and every member that that entices them to be a member and sign up. Um, the one thing I can add on to that is we are getting uh, more strength in terms of the number of members that sign up digitally, and that's really grown throughout the pandemic and become a bigger percentage of, of, of our growth as well. And I think some of that has to do with some of our online offering, that hit, particularly in, say, grocery. If you don't live within 10 or 15 miles of a club, 
but in the pandemic, you tried us, you lived a little bit further away, you had a good experience, um, you, you signed up digitally and you stayed digitally, and you, you might use us half digitally and half in the warehouse. So I think it's a different reason for everybody, really. Um, it, just, it just depends on uh, your preferences. Okay, and then lastly on renewal rate, uh, that was strong in the quarter. I was just wondering how that was versus your expectations and also the MFI growth uh, versus your expectations as well. Thank you. Okay, my guys are telling me, I, I didn't know, but I, I think it was pretty much in line with what our expectations were. I mean, we continue, when you kind of take a look at what's driving that, we continue to, 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 to convert more base members to the executive member program who tend to renew at a higher rate and have more loyalty with us. That's contributing to that. We see that every week, so we know that's going to help the renewal rates. And, and uh, so, so I think based on, you know, watch, and of course the first year renewal rates, they're improving. We know that's going to help the, the, the number as well and signing up more members. So uh, all that I think is contributing to uh, to those improved metrics, if you will. Thanks, Bob, that's helpful. And auto bill, yeah. Okay, if there's no more questions, we'll, we'll call it a wrap. I appreciate everybody dialing in today. And again, uh, David and Josh and myself are available if you guys have any follow-ups. Have a good day. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.